A very good morning to my brothers and sisters in Christ and also to the friends, guests and visiting brethren that join us for this morning's worship. It's a wonderful morning and it's great to see all of you here this morning. Uh, we know that this is the first day of the Chinese New Year, uh, but we are thankful that you have chosen the better part of the day to be with us. And this shows the priority that you place in worshipping God. I'd like to also take this opportunity to wish all of you a blessed and happy Chinese New Year. And may this year be a productive year that we have in the Lord's Kingdom. We are currently on a series of lessons on the need for personal evangelism. Uh, two weeks ago, Emma shared with us about our mission, which is to carry on the work of Christ. Last week, we spoke about why aren't more Christians involved in the work of the Lord. And uh, this morning, I'll be discussing about essential attitudes that we need to have for doing the work of the Lord. I'd like to begin by sharing with you a story that took place during the American Revolution. The story goes that there was a man in civilian clothes who was driving past a group of soldiers who were repairing a small defensive barrier. And the leader there was shouting instructions, but making no attempt to help the people. And so the rider asked the corporal why he did not help his men. And the corporal replied with great dignity, Well, sir, I am a corporal. So the stranger apologized, dismounted, and he proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. And when the job was done, he turned to the corporal and told him, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief and I will come and help you again. It turned out that the man was none other than George Washington himself. So this anecdote reminds me of the story of the occasions when the apostles, they were striving for preeminence among themselves. They wanted to be the top. They wanted to be the boss. They wanted to be served. But our Lord Jesus set them an example in serving by humbly washing their feet, as you see in John chapter 13. And we see that, of course, the apostles eventually learned a lesson. When our Lord Jesus died, he was buried, he was resurrected. We see that the attitude changed. They became servants in every sense of the word. And likewise, the apostle Paul also calls on us as servants of Christ, as disciples of Christ, to adopt his mindset. In Philippians 2 verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you as it was in Christ Jesus. And he also calls on us in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 to imitate the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that the Bible tells us that we need to have an attitude of serving. And so in this morning's lesson, I'd like for us to consider what are the essential attitudes we shall look at four kinds of attitudes we need to have in doing the work of the Lord. And we shall see how the Apostle Paul himself exemplified these attitudes. Well, the first attitude we want to talk about is the attitude of having a powerful faith. Having a powerful faith means that we want to trust God in His providence in our work, that He will bless the work that we do for Him. You know, sometimes Christians, we are quite reluctant uh, to do a work of the Lord. Why is that so? We know that it's a good work, but sometimes we lack the faith. We do not think that if you do it, you'll work out well. A case in point could be the starting of this new congregation, Eastside Church of Christ. I think for those of us who come from Nimapin, we'll know that we've been talking about starting a new work for many years. Uh, uh, even before we had elders at Limapin, that was in 2010. Uh, the leaders then were just talking about starting a new work, starting a new congregation so that there can be more space for growth. But the problem is that every time we talk and talk, we begin to think about the problems, the challenges, the difficulties. And so the work gets shelved aside. So if you look at 2010 until the time we start in 2019, 
it will be probably about 10 years or so. So a lot of times it's because we think that, yeah, cannot be done. Too much difficulty, we don't have the faith, and so we do not proceed with the work. Uh, but thankfully, we see that after Tien in one of the meetings with the elders and the preachers, he said that it's time for us to start a new work and begin to speak with brethren. And you too have the faith that the work will succeed. In fact, we are really uh, encouraged by the brethren that uh, even though this work was, a, it was started out small, but you have the faith that this church can grow. It can be successful. It can grow because of the Lord's blessings. And even parents, I can understand with children, a lot of them were worried. Uh, what happens if my children come here, there are no other kids, uh, how are they going to grow? Well, you have great faith and the work has prospered. And so we need to have this faith that God will bless the work. We need to trust in God's providence. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So notice Paul says that our labor will not be in vain. A lot of times we are reluctant because we say that the work will not succeed. The work will not be blessed. The work will not have results. But we need to have faith that Christ will bless the work of those who do not grow weary. As long as we persist in it, there will be results. As Galatians 6 verse 9, Paul says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. Notice the condition, if we faint not. You know, sometimes we don't see results because we are so fast to give up. We teach people for a while, we say, no results, we give up the teaching. We reach out to our friends, our family members, and we say that they never accept, so I'm going to give up. But Paul tells us that the results will only come if we don't give up. As long as we persevere, eventually we will see results. But talking about persistence, this reminds me of sometimes the experiments we do when we're younger. I remember when I was younger, we have science experiments that we see how plants grow. I don't know whether the children nowadays do they do this experiment. You try to grow the tauge, right? You put the, the, green, the green bean and see how they grow. Uh. You know, when you grow the green bean, uh, you need patience, right? Uh, when I was younger, I was a very impatient kid. Actually, now I'm still quite impatient, uh, but when I was younger, it was more impatient. You know, I was putting the green bean. Then I see my, my friends, the green beans uh, were growing, uh, sprouting. Uh. I look at mine, uh, how come never grow? Uh? And so being so impatient, uh, I will do, what I will do is that every two hours or so, I'll take the green bean and come and see, is there anything sprouting? Uh? The more I do it, the more it doesn't grow, uh, of course. Yeah, and then I wonder why there's no results. So sometimes Christians are like that. Uh. We see, do this work. Hey, how come no results? I want instant results. We do tracking. We say, how come two sessions, three sessions, nobody come? And then we give up the work. But if it's a good work, we need to persevere on in it. There are brethren, of course not a lot, but there are brethren that really come to know the gospel through tracking sessions. We have people that make inquiries about this, even though they may not want studies, but at least they know that there is the Lord's church here at Jutiet. So we need to continue in work, have a powerful faith that God will bless the work. But even if we don't see the results, if we don't see visible results in a sense, we should not give up because we know that this effort is not in vain. Because the Bible tells us, it assures us that our efforts in working for the Lord will be rewarded. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must first believe that he is. He must believe that there is a God. And then we must also believe that he will reward them that diligently seek him. So the Bible says there will be a reward. We don't see the results, never mind. It may have a result, but it's just not visible. But ultimately, God will remember 
God will reward our labor for him. But notice the key word also, you must diligently seek him. Diligence means that you must do it consistently, do it continuously. It's not just once in a while I do it and I hope to get rewarded. But we need to persist in serving the Lord. And when we do that, we can trust that our efforts will be rewarded. So being a Christian in serving God, we need to have this powerful faith. And of course, we saw that Paul exemplified powerful faith. He trusted in God that he will take care of him, particularly in his ministry at Corinth. In Corinth, we see that Paul made with a lot of persecution, a lot of problems. This was his second missionary journey. If you recall in his first missionary journey, there were Jews that came from Antioch, chased him all the way to Iconium, to Lystra, and then stoned him and left him for dead. That was the kind of problems that he faced. In his second missionary journey, there was no difference. The Jews were still making problems for him. In fact, we see that when Paul was preaching, the Jews were blaspheming the word of God. And then they also brought him before the judge, before the deputy in Achaia, before Gallio, bringing false charges against him that this man was teaching people to worship against the law. So they were persecuting him. They were making a lot of problems for him. But notice what kept Paul going was because of God's promise to him that he will be taken care of. In Acts chapter 18, verse 9 to verse 11, we see that there was a vision that Paul had where Christ says, be not afraid, but speak and hold not your peace. So Christ told him to continue teaching, don't give up. Why? Because Christ says, I review. Just as in the Great Commission, Jesus says, I review always. So here, Christ gives Paul the assurance, I review. No man shall set on you to hurt you, for I have much people in this city. And so we see that Paul continued there for 18 months, teaching the word of God among the people over there. So this was a man who had great faith. A lot of problems, a lot of hindrances, a lot of difficulties. But did that stop him? Did he say that, I don't think these people will be interested? So many people I tried to preach to, but they, they were just not interested. No, we see that he continued to preach. In fact, we see that there was results. We see that Christmas, the ruler of synagogue, his household and many of the Gentiles actually believed on the word of God. Many of the Corinthians actually believed. And so we see that Paul trusted that God would bless the world. And indeed, God blessed the world. And so when Paul subsequently writes to the church in Corinth, what did he say? In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but what, who gave the increase? God gave the increase. God was the one who was working with them, blessing the world. He was not by Paul's efforts alone, but God was the one prospering the work over there. And so in verse 7, he says, Neither is he that planted anything, neither is he that waters, but God that giveth the increase. As we mentioned earlier, as long as you work for God, there will be increase. It may not be visible at this point in time. It may take a long time before you see it, but eventually we will see the results. And in verse 8, Paul assures us and says, He that planters and he that waters are one. And every man shall reward, receive his own reward according to his own labor. So this Paul says there is a reward. Those who plant, those who water, they will all be rewarded. And so we need to have a powerful faith when we serve God. Because if you have no faith, you won't do anything, isn't it? If you don't believe that something will happen, will you waste your time doing that thing? You won't. If you do a work, you don't believe that the work will be successful, you will not do anything. Likewise, it is in the lost kingdom. If you don't believe that evangelism will take place, and if you don't believe that evangelism will bear fruit, you will not evangelize. If you don't believe that this congregation will grow, what will happen? We'll say, don't need to 
bring the gospel, do we need to reach out to my friends, do we need to distribute tracts, because this congregation will not grow. We won't do anything if we give up the hope. But if one has a powerful faith, then the impossible becomes possible. We see that Jesus spoke to a man whose son was possessed with an unclean spirit. Okay. And what did Jesus say to him? If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believers. Notice the power of favor. If you believe, things become possible. So if we believe that this congregation can grow, we believe that we can outgrow this place, that can happen. But of course, this must be accompanied by our works in the Lord's kingdom. If we want this congregation to prosper, to grow, we must continue to preach the word of God. And we must have faith that God will bless the world. And so the first attitude we talked about in having uh, the essential attitude that we need to have in doing the work of God is to have a powerful faith. Tightly linked with the powerful faith is to have a prayerful hope. So not only do we need to believe, we need to pray as well. And having a prayerful hope is to seek God's help in our work for Him. You know, the problem is that sometimes we have hope, uh, but we don't pray. I believe that God will bless the world. I trust that the church will grow, but we don't pray. But what did James say that if you don't pray? In James 4 verse 2, he says, you have not because you ask not. And Jesus says in Matthew 7 verse 7, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. A lot of times we say that I believe that the church will grow, but we forget to ask God to help us. And that's why we say that why is it that our prayers, our hope is not answered? It's because we have neglected to pray. But on the other hand, there are those who pray without hoping. We say there are those who hope without praying, but there are those also who pray without hope. They pray, but they don't believe that something will happen. I pray that the, the, the friends that I reach out to will come and hear the gospel. But then I don't believe that that will happen. I think my friends are too stubborn. Well, when we pray, but we don't have the hope, what happens? In James chapter 1, verse 7, James again tells us that let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Don't think that you will receive, because if you don't believe in a prayer, that prayer is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It will not be answered. That's why our Lord Jesus tells us in Matthew 21, verse 22, all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Notice when we pray, we need to believe, and then we will receive. But of course, we cannot take this verse out of context. There are other things that need to be done as well, uh, conditions to be fulfilled in order for prayers to be answered. Okay? One thing, of course, we know 1 John 5, 14 to 15, we need to pray according to God's will. We need to have persistence in prayers. These are things that come hand in hand with the belief in prayer. But when we pray, one of the things is that we must believe and then we'll receive. If we don't believe, the answer has already been given. It will be no. And why do we need to seek God's help? Because we need to remember that God is the one who directs our ways. Man can make a lot of plans. We can make elaborate, grand plans. We can be very detailed in our planning. We can have a lot of talents involved in the work. But if God does not prosper the work, the work will not be successful. As Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Time and again, you see the Bible, that there are people who have made plans. Okay, we talk about in the town of Esther, there was Haman who made a plan to destroy all the Jews. His plan was so well thought out, he even had the gallows that was created. But what happened? God thwarted his plan, wasn't it? You see that he was the one that was hanged on his own gallows. So we can make a lot of plans, but if God is not blessing us, God is not giving us the success, we don't ask of God, we will not get the results. So having a hope is important, but this hope must be accompanied by prayer. And we also see that God 
grants the prayers of those who keep his commandments. Okay. So we need to pray, but notice that we need to do as well. Uh. Okay. So we must do God's commandments, we must do his will, and then the prayer will be answered. So 1 John 3 verse 22 says, Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his promise and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. Notice the condition is that we must keep the commandments and do the things. So as we pray to God to bless the church with growth, we also need to do it. There's no point praying, but we don't do anything. If we don't do anything, the work will not be blessed. The prayers will not be answered. So like we say earlier, in Matthew 7 verse 7, he says, Ask, it shall be given to you, right? When you ask God, God will bless the work. But we also need to seek. So as we ask God to bless us with growth, we need to seek for people to help the church, to, uh, to have studies with them, to help the church grow. And then we need to knock on the doors. Uh. We need to put in effort to try to set up the studies, to evangelize, to bring the gospel to them. And only then will the work be successful. Once again, we see that the Apostle Paul had a prayerful hope. He had a hope in asking the Christians in Colossae to pray for opportunities for him to evangelize in prison. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 4, look at what Paul prayed for. What did Paul ask them to pray for him? He says, continue in prayer and watch the same with thanksgiving. And he told the Christians in Colossae to pray for us that God will open for us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. You remember that at this point in time when Paul asked, them, asked the Colossians Christians to pray for him, where was he? So that he under house arrest uh, in Rome. But we see that by God's blessing, God's providence, even though he was under house arrest, but he was able to receive visitors. Uh, so that presented an opportunity for him to preach the gospel to them. And we see that he did make use of the opportunity. While he prayed, while he trusted that the prayer would be answered, at the same time he was preaching and teaching the kingdom of God, no one could forbid him, as Acts 28 verse 30 to 31 tells us. So this man was doing God's will boldly, courageously, and without ceasing. And what was the result? When we look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, we see that his imprisonment helped those even in Caesar's household to be converted. Those of Caesar's household actually sent greetings to the saints. So his work was prosperous because he asked God for help and he did the work. And when we look at what Paul wrote to the Philippians subsequently, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to verse 13, Notice what he mentioned about his imprisonment. How did he help in the growth of the church? Philippians 1, verse 12 to verse 13 says, But I will, you should understand, brethren, that the things that have happened to me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So Paul was saying that even though he was in prison, but this actually helped to fulfill God's will. He helped the gospel to further spread, to prosper. Why? Because in verse 13 he says, so that my boss in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. So he was there in prison. And while he was there, he helped those that were uh, his uh, companions to hear about the gospel. In fact, remember in Philippians chapter 16, even the jailer, right, the one that came in prison, was also converted by his preaching, wasn't it? So he was there doing God's work, even while in difficult circumstances, helping to preach to the jailer, preaching to Caesar's household, such that they obeyed the gospel and became Christians as well. And so, brethren, we see that the second attitude that we need to have is that of a prayerful hope. We need to have prayer because if one does not pray, he will not be interested. Isn't that true? Oftentimes, remember, think about it. Who do you pray for 
You pray for those things that are important to you or value to you that you prioritize. Is that it? A lot of us in our prayers, we definitely pray for ourselves. We definitely pray for our loved ones. Isn't it? Because we care for them. We love them. We'll pray for people who are sick because we know we think about them. We show concern for them. So the fact of the matter is that we only we oftentimes pray for things that we are concerned about. But if you don't pray, it indicates a lack of interest. On the other hand, if one has a prayerful life, then the work of the Lord becomes a priority to the person. <coughs> Excuse me. If we pray for something, it means that we are thinking about a thing, we are pondering about a thing, we are giving it consideration. It becomes a priority to us. And that's why James says in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and you'll draw near unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Notice the Bible says how to feel close to God, how to draw close to God. We need to draw close to Him and then He'll be close to us. So sometimes as Christians, we think that, hey, I don't feel close to God, ah. But we don't feel too close to God. Why is the problem? Has God forgotten us? Has God forsaken us? Well, he has not. Because we know that God is a constant. But when we feel far from God, it's us who have drifted away from God. So the only way for us to get, for God to be closer to us is that we need to draw close to him. As we draw close to him, we'll feel that God is close to us. And the more that we draw close to God, the more his work becomes a priority for us. The more we pray for about his work, we pray that his will to be done, the more we'll do his work as well. And so the second attitude we need to have in uh, doing the work of the Lord is that of a prayerful hope. The third attitude we need to have, the third P, is that of a personal love. What does it mean to have a personal love? A personal love means to have our devotion to God in our work for Him. We demonstrate and we show our devotion by the things we do for Him. The thing is that one can serve without love, but one cannot love without serving. Think about that. Can one love? Can one serve without love? Definitely you can. Ah. Okay. Sometimes you go to the restaurant. Singaporeans are ready to complain about the service. Ah. The service is no good. Why? Because the person just do as a job. Ah. There's no heart in the work. You can serve without love. You just do a, a job. Okay. Just give, just give, just give. But there's no heart. Okay. There's no extra mouth service because there's no love. But can one love without serving? Can you say that I love God but I don't want to serve God? Can the husband say to the wife, I love you very much, but you don't want to serve the wife. The wife say that, hey, I'm hungry. Uh. Can you, uh, can you uh, get me some food? The husband tell the wife, uh, don't be lazy, go and cook the food. Is that love? That's not love. Uh. Okay. After having the food, the wife say, I'm tired. Can you help to clean up? The husband say, don't be lazy, go and wash the dishes. Is that love? That's not love. Uh. So love must be demonstrated in our service, in our help to others. <coughs> and that's why Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. No one can tell Jesus that I love you, but I don't want to do your work. I don't want to obey you. I don't want to come and worship you on the Lord's day. I don't want to do evangelize as you command me to do. I don't want to do good to my brethren as you command me to. If we don't do God's work, then our love for Him is just lip service and not from the heart. In fact, we see that Christ wants us to show our love for Him in deed and in truth, not just in word or in tongue. It's easy to say, I love you. But the real test of a love is what we do for Him. If we love God, we must demonstrate that in our service for Him. In fact, the Bible shows us that Christ equates our love for Him in our service for Him. That's right. How much we love God is demonstrated by how much we serve Him. In Luke chapter 7, you remember that Jesus was having a meal at a Pharisee's house. And there was a sinful woman who came to wash His feet. And what did the woman do? 
A woman washed his feet with her tears and she used her hair to dry her feet. Subsequently, she kissed his feet and then anointed his feet with oil. And notice in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, what did Jesus say of her? Jesus said to say, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. The question is, how did Jesus know that this woman loved him very much? Huh? Notice in the passage, there was no mention of the woman telling Jesus, I love you. There was no great proclamation of love, no great profession of what she will do for Jesus. But how did Jesus know that she loved much? It's because she served him much. She did all this for him without him having to tell her. In fact, she did it of her own accord. In fact, the ointment that she used was a box of alabaster ointment. Very expensive in those days. But that was how much she loved our Lord. On the other hand, Jesus says, to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Who do you think Jesus was talking about in this case? Of course, he's talking about the Pharisee. The Pharisees who think that themselves are righteous, they will think that I don't need forgiveness. Little is forgiven, the same loveth little. But I may wonder, how is it that the Pharisee loved Jesus little? If the, the Pharisee didn't love Jesus, why would he bring Jesus to have a feast at his house? <coughs> the fact of the matter was that the Pharisee did not show love Jesus in the works. In fact, Jesus tell him, I came to your house, you did not offer water for my feet. You did not, you did not, uh, you did not uh, annoy my, my head with oil. You did not offer me the hospitality that I deserve. So we see that Jesus equated the love with the service. The woman loved him much because she served him much. But we see that the Pharisee loved little because he was not willing to serve our Lord. So give me a second now. Sorry, apologies for that. Okay. So we see that personal love is important in our work for the Lord. Of course, we see that Paul himself had a personal love. He had a personal love for the lost. In fact, he desired their salvation. As we see in the book of Romans chapter 9, verse 1 to verse 3. In fact, this is a very great book to read. Uh, where you look at Paul's desire, Paul's love for the lost, how he wanted to convert lost souls. In Romans chapter 9, verse 1 to verse 3, Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience bear me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Notice Paul says he has great sorrow. Ah. The sorrow was there and it was a very great sorrow. And we see that it was continual. Why was that so? Because he was thinking about salvation of his own people. The Jews who have rejected the gospel. In fact, Paul says that if it were possible, I would want to give my own salvation in order to save them. That was how much Paul loved the lost souls. And why, how did he demonstrate his love for, love for lost souls? We see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 14 to verse 16, he says that he was ready to preach the gospel to those that are in Rome also. He loved the lost souls so much that he was even willing to travel all the way to Rome. Okay. And you must remember, in those days, they did not have cars, they did not have aeroplanes. They had to travel by foot or even by ship but he was ready to make that long journey to meet them because he wanted to bring the gospel to the lost. Of course, we see in Romans chapter 15, verse 22-24, there were numerous occasions he tried to visit them, but he was hindered. But none of this could stop him because he was determined to go to Rome to bring the gospel to them. But he was going to Rome, it was not going to be an easy trip. It was not going to be a pleasant trip. Huh? He wasn't going there on a sightseeing trip to see the beautiful places, the sceneries but he was actually willing to go there to suffer. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 2, oh sorry, Acts chapter 20, 
Verse 22, 24, notice the kind of suffering you have to go through in order to bring the gospel to them. Acts 20, verse 22, Paul says, And no, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Of course, we know that on his way to Rome, he was first taken to Jerusalem before he appealed to Caesar and was brought to Rome. But in verse 23, he says that the Holy Spirit witnessed in every city, saying that bores and the fishes abide me. So Paul knew what he was in for. He knew that whichever place he go, there will be bores, he will be in prison, he will suffer affliction in every place that he goes. But nevertheless, he wanted to go to Rome. In fact, he knew that by going to Rome, there was the threat of death. Huh? We know that at that point in time, the king that was in, uh, over Rome was Caesar. And Caesar was a very cruel emperor. Most likely, he might even have to lose his life over there. But of course, we know that subsequently, in his second imprisonment, he did. But notice that he was willing to even give up his life. In verse 24, he says, None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I receive of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Notice he says, The bonds, the officials, doesn't move me. In fact, he doesn't even care about his own life. He just wanted to finish the work of God. Why was that so? He was compelled by a personal love for lost souls. He desired a salvation. He wanted to bring the gospel to them. So brethren and friends, we see that one of the attributes we need to have when we do the work of the Lord is to have a personal love. Because if you don't have love, we want to do something. What we'll do is that we'll find excuses. We ask to do something, but we don't want to do it. If a person doesn't feel like coming to church, anything, everything could be an excuse. Uh. I don't feel well. Uh, my throat feels itchy. I don't feel well. I, have, uh, I didn't have a good sleep. I don't feel well. Uh, I tried to go to work. Everything can be an excuse. But if one has a personal love, what will the person do? The person will overcome any obstacles that stand in the way, isn't it? If you love to do something, you'll find every way to do it. That's why we see in Romans, I'm uh, sorry, in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7, it talks about love. Love bears all things, Believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. Love is such that no matter what problems we face, we'll bear it, we'll endure it. We see how the Apostle Paul was willing to go through suffering to bring the gospel to the lost because of love. And of course, we know that parents love their children. Many times, your children will be naughty, they disappoint you, they make you angry. But do you say that, oh, one more time only, I'm going to disown you, throw you out of the house, uh, cut you for my inheritance? You don't do that, huh? you love your child. You will bear with it, you will endure them. No matter what kind of things they give to you, a lot of headache, a lot of heartache, you still bear with it. And parents always have hope for their children. They believe in the good in them, right? Okay. We see that children, maybe they've done something wrong. Sometimes we read about news. Children go into prison. They promise their parents that they will change. Uh. Okay. Uh, recently, I saw a series in the CNA, uh, the Inside Maximum Security about the prison, uh, a very good series. Uh. The, the, the person went to prison for four times. Uh. Each time, tell the father that he will change his ways. Uh. But each time the mother still still take him back home. Uh. That was how much, how great the parents love him, right? If they believe that no matter what one wrong thing my child has done, I believe that the next time around he will change. They don't give up. They believe and they hope for the best. And likewise, it is in the lost world. We need to have this love. Believe that things will work out. Believe in the good of people. Even though we preach to the person, the person may not accept the gospel at this point in time. We believe that subsequently, the next time I preach to him, then will bear results. God's work, God's hard work will work in him. Eventually, he might have a chance to obey the gospel. We have brethren here that go through years of studies uh, uh, before they obey the gospel. The spouse bring them consistently and persistently to church. 
The first few times they may reject, they may not want to obey. But subsequently, we see that time, love, effort helps to move the person towards obeying the gospel. And so in the word of the Lord, need to have this love. Don't give up, but to persevere in the love for God and the love for lost souls. And the last thing we'll talk about, a key attitude in, have, in doing the work of the Lord is that of a positive outlook. Having a positive outlook is to serve God joyfully in our work for Him. Do it out of a love, do it out of joy. Because one who serves grudgingly, he serves out of obligation. I do it because I have to, not because I want to. On the other hand, one who serves gladly is doing it out of goodwill, doing it out of love. So he'll be very happy when he comes to serve God. And that's what the psalmist calls on us to do. In Psalm 100 verse 2, he says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. The Bible tells us, when we want to serve God, serve with our whole heart. Do it out of joy. And we need to have joy when we serve God. Huh? Because we need to realize that serving God is a grace. It's a privilege. It's an honor. Sometimes back to joke, huh? well, I cannot arrow to do this to serve God. Huh? But we don't want to see it as a burden. It's actually a grace, isn't it? What is grace? Huh? Grace oftentimes we call it unmerited favor. So God has given us this grace, huh? this unmerited favor, this undeserved honor that we have to serve Him. We are very lowly inside. We have done a lot of things that have wronged Him. We have sinned against Him numerous times. But can you consider, can you imagine the kind of honor God has given to us, lifting us up so that we can have the opportunity to serve Him? That was what the Apostle Paul felt uh, that compelled him to serve in God's kingdom, to bring the gospel to the lost. Because this was a man, remember, he was the one who persecuted the church. He killed Christians. He was the one who gave consent to the death of Stephen, one of the great Christians in the first century church. And he was so ashamed of himself that when he was caught and put into the mystery, he says in Ephesians 3 verse 8, And to me who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that you preach among the Gentiles the searchable riches of Christ. Paul considered it an honor, a grace to be able to preach. He did not consider it a burden. He did not consider it uh, 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 something that uh, he doesn't want to do, but something that he was glad to do. We should also remember that when we serve God, it is a privilege because God counts us faithful in putting us into his ministry. The highest thing that he has for us in putting us to serve, it means that he trusts us. God didn't give the ministry of evangelism to angels. He didn't give the ministry of evangelism to animals, but he gave to us because he trusts that we can do the job. As 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has enabled me, that he had called me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That's the kind of trust that God has uh, given to us, trusting that you and I, even though we may not be the most talented people, we may not be the one that have the most gifts or the most uh, talents, but he trusts us that we can do the work for him. And so brethren, once again, we see the example of Paul. How Paul had a positive outlook in his service for God. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Remember when Paul writing to the Philippians, where was he? He was actually a prisoner of our Lord Jesus Christ. But being a prisoner, you can still write to them, uh, rejoice always. Remember that when he was in prison in Philippi, he was actually in prison unjustly. Uh. He was beaten and thrown into prison. When you think about beaten, uh, we thought of using rods, uh, but it's not the rods. Uh, it's a scourging that our Lord went through. It's the kind of scourging that will tear the flesh, the kind of beating. And it's 39 stripes, uh, because 40 minus 1 is 39 stripes. Usually they'll do that, 39 stripes. And it's rip out your flesh. But yet, Paul here was saying, rejoice. 
even though he was in pain, he was unjustly beaten, but he still says, rejoice, serving with positivity. But we see that when he was in prison, what was he doing? Uh? Was they complaining, uh, murmuring, talking about the injustice they suffered? He and Sire tell each other, you know what, we, what we, we are doing the right thing, but what they do to us, telling the prisoners how unfair, how unjust it is. They didn't. Uh. In prison, what were they doing? They were singing praises to God. They were praying to God. And as James chapter 5 verse 13 says, Is any among you afflicted that in pray? Is any Mary that in sim sums? And they were doing the both of them. They were afflicted at the same time they were married, happily suffering for God's sake. That was what they were doing. And so when we serve God, we need to have this positive outlook. Huh? That no matter what happens, don't be discouraged. Satan wants to discourage us. He wants to pull us down. He wants to give us, he wants us to give up on the work. But as long as we have positive outlook, the right perspective, then you will help us to keep going in the work of the Lord. And the positive outlook is very important because one doesn't have a positive outlook. Okay? If he has a negative outlook, he will become very despondent. Uh, okay? He will be very, very easy to give up. You see some people going through life, it's like going through the motions. Uh, they don't find joy in life. They have no purpose in life. Uh, they're just going through. They find life a drudgery going through it. Why? Because they have no purpose. They are not doing things with joy. But on the other hand, if one has a positive outlook, then life becomes full of meaning, full of purpose, and full of life. As Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Indeed, we see that the Apostle Paul had a great zest for life, isn't it? Even while he was undergoing suffering, persecution, but you see that he lived life to the fullest, because this man had the positive outlook in serving our Lord. So, brethren and friends, this morning, we have discussed four essential attitudes for doing the work of the Lord. Okay. Uh, we look at powerful faith, faithful blood. Uh. So power being a powerful faith. So having a powerful faith means that we trust God's providence. We don't just want to do it on our own, but we trust that God will work with us and give the results. We need to have a prayerful hope. We need to ask God's help. Not just to think that we can do it by our own capabilities, by doing it with our own talents, our own abilities. But we need God's help in the work for Him. We need to have a personal love. Even this year, still we talk about evangelism. Okay, we need to do it out of love, not out of obligation. Because if we do it out of obligation, eventually we'll run out of steam. But if you have a love for lost souls to see the sorry condition that they are in and how much they have done, they need the gospel, and how much Christ they've done for us, then we'll do it out of love. And lastly, we need to have a positive outlook to serve God joyfully in our work for Him, never to give up, but to persevere on. American author by the name of Zig Zagler once said, Your attitude, not your aptitude, determines your altitude. Okay? Consider this, this uh, saying, uh, Your attitude, not your aptitude, determines your altitude. Why is attitude? Your attitude is your outlook about something. Your outlook on life, that's attitude. Your aptitude is your talent in that thing. Okay? And your altitude is your success in doing the thing. And consider a lot of times it's not about how talented you are that determines your success, but it's about our outlook, our attitude that determines how far we can go, how high we can climb. It's because in the mind, our attitude for God. When you look at the Bible, a lot of times you see that it's not the people that are most talented that are the most successful in their work for God, but it's the people who have the right heart. Look at the strongest man, Samson. The wisest man, Solomon. What do you remember them for? Do you remember them for the zealous service for God? No, oftentimes we remember them for their wasted potential in life. So much strength and so much intelligence, but wasted because they went astray. On the other hand, look at the people that God chose. Uh, they were not exactly the most naturally gifted. 
but they were the ones with the right heart. Look at Moses, who was chosen over the eloquent Korah. Remember Korah, number 16, how he did a rebellion? He was so eloquent that he can turn the whole of Israel against Moses and Aaron. This man was very eloquent. But Moses was a chosen leader, not Korah. Look at David, who was chosen over the imposing King Saul. Saul was so tall, he was so handsome, so good-looking. But yet, David was the one chosen to be the ancestor of the Messiah, not Saul. Saul was the one who fell. And we also look at the apostles. A lot of them were uneducated, they were lowly. But they were chosen over the learned, the wise scribes and Pharisees. Okay. Of course, with the exception of Paul, himself being a Pharisee, uh, but he was one who actually converted and used his talents to serve God. But generally, you will notice that a lot of times, God did not choose the best, most talented people, but he chose the people with the right heart. As 1 Samuel 15, verse 7, where Samuel says, Man look on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. <coughs> so God is looking for people with the right heart to serve him. In closing, I'd like to share with you a poem. Sorry, give me a second. I'd like to share with you a poem. A poem about two brothers, okay, named Work and Shirk. So Work and Shirk are two little brothers. Work is always busy doing things for others. Shirk is, <coughs> Shirk is very lazy and lies around the house, stretching and yawning as useless as a mouse. All through the day, work makes things hard, but shirt sits around and just looks dumb. What do you which do you think is dearly loved by others? Work or shirt? These well-known little brothers. <coughs> and so, brethren and friends, will we work or will we shirk from the work of the Lord? Do we serve him with gladness, having the right attitude in our service for him? Or do we shirk away from responsibility, always saying that not me, yeah, find other people to do the work? And to the friends that we passed this morning, uh, thank you for taking time of your precious weekend, especially this being a Chinese New Year, to come and worship God with us. That's for you to consider at this point in time. Will you obey the gospel call or will you shut away from the call and avoid the gospel call? <coughs> God's prayer of salvation is very clear to us. It has been shown to us in the Bible how God has sent His Son to die for us, Jesus has shed His blood, and the Holy Spirit has revealed the Word of God to us. On our part, <coughs> what we need to do is to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, to repent of our sins, to confess Jesus as Son of God, to be baptized with Christ for remission of sins, and to remain faithful so that we can receive the heavenly reward when life is over. If any of you are subjected to the gospel call, why not make this a brand new start, the new year, to obey the gospel, to render obedience to Him, and to be faithful to Him, and to serve Him all the days of your life. Remember, it's a privilege for us to be God's servant. Let us now sing the hymn of invitation and encouragement, not ourselves and all of thee. Thank you.
Lord. 